All right. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Eco News Report. I'm your host this week, Tom Wheeler, Executive Director of the Environmental Protection Information Center. And I'm joined by my special friend, Scott Grecian, Conservation Director of Friends of the Eel River. Hey, Scott. Hi, Tom. We're special friends today. Huh? I, I don't know. That, that makes it sound, it makes our relationship sound a little different than it is, perhaps. I like you fine. Uh, I like you fine, too. Well, the, the Eco News Report is an exclusive feature of KHSU brought to you by the North Coast Environmental Center, publisher of our regional environmental newspaper, the Eco News. You can find this show and other KHSU public affairs shows on the audio archives page at khsu.org. All right. So we have a a fun topic today and one that is close to your heart. It is the Eel River and nefarious bad government doers and and let's just let's just start off by by talking about what's going on today. We record on Tuesday. This is airing on Thursday. Today the Board of Supervisors is meeting and they're talking about the Eel River. And so we're going to try to figure out what they're talking about in today's show and why it matters, who the players are and why the public should probably be concerned. So, Scott, what is the Board of Supervisors talking about in particular today? What they were talking about today is what the county's position should be, its negotiating position should be with respect to what I call the Eel River Dams, the complex of two dams and diversion tunnel that the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission calls the Potter Valley Project. And the The question at hand at its core is whether the county should actively advocate for the removal of at least Scott Dam and the return of the Upper Eel River to the salmon and steelhead that need it as spawning grounds. And basically, it looks like this morning the county took some very significant steps in that direction with this this new policy position. And I got to say, that's pretty encouraging that this is very helpful to see the county moving in the direction of acknowledging not just that the dams are probably going to come out, but that they should come out. And that's not to say that we're all the way to where we think the county ought to be, but we have made some progress on this point. There's a deeper question, which is, what is the county's relationship to the Eel Russian River Commission and to an effort that appears to be underway to reconfigure the Eel Russian River Commission to give Pacific Gas and Electric, PG&E, the utility that owns these dams and diversion tunnel, basically a way to sell off the project and get out from under its liabilities. And on that front, we have not yet gotten Humboldt County to acknowledge that that's a bad idea and one which we should have no part in. So there's some progress, but we still really need to penetrate some of the fog that has surrounded these questions. And frankly, some of that fog is just due to the fact that the discussions about PG&E's proposed new plan for the Potter Valley Project have been conducted in secret. All right. Well, let's touch on that. This was something that Friends of the Eel River brought up, gosh, what was it, about three weeks ago now? Yeah. Before the Board of Supervisors, because of a Public Records Act request. Well, that's how we found out about it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it basically started with a meeting of the Eel Russian River Commission last February 23rd, where the commission heard from David Moeller who's PG&E's Director of Hydropower Operations. And this is where David Muller made the formal announcement that PG&E would, in fact, be deciding what to do 
with the dams. And now we know that PG&E is going to actually auction this fall. But at the time in February, what he said was, we're either going to go to an auction, we're going to agree to a sale with someone, or we're going to keep operating it. And nobody thought they were going to keep operating it because they've been trying to get out from under this thing. So what was strange about that February 23rd meeting of the Eel Russian River Commission is that the members of the commission responded to David Mueller and PGE's announcement by saying, okay, well, we need to expand the Eel Russian River Commission to take advantage of this opportunity to get involved in the management of the Potter Valley Project. What was never clear there was why. What exactly was the you know, Russian River Commission being expanded to do? This is very interesting because we had asked various members of the commission before that meeting what they were doing, and they wouldn't tell us. Supervisor Fennell, who is one of the Eel Russian River Commissioners, Humboldt County Supervisor Estelle Fennell, told us that the Eel Russian River Commission wasn't interested in buying the project or running it, so we shouldn't be worried. And Mendocino County Supervisor Carrie Brown told us that the reason that the joint powers agreement for the Eel Russian River Commission was being brought up at this meeting was because there was just some old language in there that needed to be fixed and looked at. And when we asked James Gore, who's the Sonoma County supervisor who sits on the Yale Russian River Commission, what was going on? He said, oh, yeah, there's been some stuff. And, you know, I, I was the one who said it really needs to be taken public and, and brought out in public at the commission meetings. But he didn't tell us what they were talking about, why. So we filed a request under the Public Records Act, which basically says that... Well, you filed multiple requests, right? Right. We filed requests with Humboldt County, Mendocino County, Lake County, and Sonoma County, the members of the Eel Russian River Commission. We filed it with the Eel Russian River Commission itself and with a bunch of other entities that appear to be plausibly involved with these attempts to keep the Potter Valley Project in place and not deal with the need to restore fish habitat above Scott Dam. And uh, we got almost nothing back. Well, we got a bunch of nothing back from most of the entities we queried. But the Sonoma County Water Agency and Lake County both produced records of a series of meetings and conversations which show that from July of 2017 through January of 2018, there were a series of meetings involving first James Gore, then James Gore and Carrie Brown, then Carrie Brown and Estelle Fennell. In fact, we have email records from James Steele from Lake County showing that all four of the Eel Russian River commissioners had met in serial form. All right. What serial form? It means in a series as opposed to all together at once. So it's like kind of almost like a game of telephone. Right. Right. So right. I, I talk to Scott. Scott talks to Jen. Jen talks to Larry. And so then in effect. And pretty soon Larry's really confused. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah but I've, I've kind of communicated with Larry. You right. Just pass along. Right. So that's one way that you can have a meeting that's not actually a meeting. Another way is what's called a hub and spoke, where one person has meetings with a bunch of other people and effectively communicates with a majority of a public board. So that could either be one of the members of that board or it could be somebody else. It could be an attorney 
attorney, you know, somebody else who's talking to all these people. So in this instance, it sure looks like David Mueller, who was in all of those meetings from July through January, could be described as a hub and all of these other people are spokes. But the point is they all effectively met together over time. And the reason I'm phrasing it in that way is because this appears to be a fairly straightforward violation of the Brown Act. <laughs> the, the Brown Act is something that we deal with a lot, but I, I don't know if, if our, our average listener knows what the Brown Act is. Yeah, it's it's a California state law that applies to counties and cities. It basically applies to local government. It was passed in 1953 in response, I'm reading from Wikipedia right here, to mounting public concerns over informal undisclosed meetings held by local elected officials. They were avoiding public scrutiny by holding secret workshops and study sessions, quote, I just want to read a little bit from the introduction. The legislature found and declared that the public commissions, boards and councils and the other public agencies in the state exist to aid in the conduct of the people's business. It was the intent of the law that their actions be taken openly and that their deliberations be conducted openly. The people of this state did not yield their sovereignty to the agencies which served them. The people in delegating authority did not give their public servants the right to decide what is good for the people to know and what is not good for them to know. The people insisted on remaining informed so that they could retain control over the governing bodies they had created. Seems like a pretty fundamental aspect of democratic self-governance to me. So good, good government basics, right? Yeah, but but what the Brown Act says is you have to meet publicly to discuss public business. You cannot have meetings of a majority of any public body, whether serially or all at once, whether hub and spoke or linear form. Well, you just can't do it. You know, basically, it's not legal to do that. Public business has to be conducted in public. So the problem, though, is that while the Brown Act has a really clear guidance about what should happen, it doesn't have particularly effective penalties for discussions alone that are taken in violation of the Brown Act. It's only once a final action has been taken that groups like ours, citizens in general, can go to the courts and ask that those actions be redone in public this time. So without a final action, we really don't have anything to challenge. All we can do is stand up and say, hey, you know, the Brown Act says you're not allowed to do this. Well, so I, I'm curious, maybe maybe you won't know, but it, it seems like there there were these meetings of the Eel Russian River commissioners, and they were coming up with a plan for future action. Would Would that potentially put at risk any future action that, you know— We'll see. Is done in public? Yeah, we'll, we'll see. see. I, I will say it is not our intention at Friends of the Eel River to litigate this question. It's just pointless. So I'm, I don't want anybody to hear me threatening suit over this issue. And the question really is twofold here, though. What is the plan and why is the plan? So what is the plan seems to be we're expanding and reconfiguring the Eel Russian River Commission. The commission's already acted to start doing that. What they didn't do is explain why they want to do that. Well, can you describe what the commission is and why this would be an expansion? Sure. The Eel Russian River Commission is a joint powers agency, which means it's basically formed by a contract between local governments, the local governments in this case being the four county governments that are affected by or involved in 
the Potter Valley Project. So that's Humboldt County, Mendocino County, Lake County, and above all, Sonoma County, the big 800-pound gorilla of the North Coast, and especially of North Coast water politics. It was formed around the first relicensing of the Potter Valley Project in the late 70s. And at that point, basically, the three counties that receive Eel River diversions got Humboldt County to agree to back them up in keeping the dams in place in exchange for what anybody can read in the 1979 formation document for the Eel Russian River Commission. The, the eel was supposed to get something in exchange for supporting diversions, continued diversions out of the eel and damming up the top of the, the Eel River and its fish habitat. And what we were supposed to get was a comprehensive plan for development of the Eel River watershed and funding for more water development. Now, it's pretty easy to read that from the perspective of a conservation activist and attorney and understand that what they meant was they were trying to get more dams on the Eel. And this was in the era of big dams. It was just at the very end of it, right before the eel finally got designated as a wild and scenic river to quash those efforts to put giant dams on the eel at Dos Rios and other places, you know, that we've all been fighting over for generations. So Humboldt never got that. It never got the plan. It never got dams. It never got nothing. And frankly, you know, Humboldt doesn't receive any benefits from the existence of the Potter Valley Project. What it gets is a river that's substantially degraded and fish runs that are really impaired by the existence of these dams. Yeah. Well, if you hate fish and you like algae, we get lots of <laughs> right, benefits. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's all in the eye of the beholders. Right. Right. So the question is, you know, why reconfigure the commission? Why expand it at this point? And the answer also appears in those responses we got from our Public Records Act requests. And it, it's, it lays it out really well. And it's not like we get everything entirely clear from the responses we've gotten so far, but it's like walking past a slatted fence. You can make out the shape of the house behind the fence. You know, you don't get every detail, but you can see from the data points you've got, you know, the, the general shape of things. And what we get is that PG&E says... We've got a new idea. This looks like it could really work. This could be an economic way for this project to continue to operate as a water transfer project. It's a non-power license. Basically, we want to move the Potter Valley project out from under the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission by doing away with the hydropower generation part of it, which is admittedly pretty nominal. It's crappy power. PG&E doesn't make any money off of it. That's the underlying problem is PG&E. That's why they're trying to sell it. Yeah, they, their costs are apparently 40 times their return on this project. It's a 40 to 1 project. So there's no economic sense to it from the utilities perspective. But they want to get out from under, they being PG&E, they want to get out from under the enormous potential costs they face in decommissioning, especially Scott Dam. As the dam owner, that's their responsibility. If they want to get rid of a hydropower project, FERC's going to require them to decommission that dam. So they don't want to do that. They want to get anybody to take this dog off their hands, please. So they're trying to set up a buyer for their project because they've been unable to get the Sonoma County Water Agency and other people to buy their project. So what they're trying to set up is a way to, to have the Eel Russian River Commission actually be the licensor of an operator that would just transfer water. And the key piece of this whole scheme is that by doing that, 
you get out from under the requirement to provide fish passage over Scott Dam. Scott Dam's the upper dam. It's 100 years old in 2020. It blocks off about 280 miles of prime steelhead and Chinook habitat above the dam and Lake Pillsbury. Some of it's actually under the Lake Pillsbury Reservoir. It's also a, a dam that raises some very significant seismic safety concerns. But the economic question that PG&E is facing is that in relicensing a dam that's regulated by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, today you have to provide fish passage because we've decided we want to actually restore and protect our salmon runs. And that means that where it's feasible to let fish back into their habitat, we've passed a law, it's part of the Federal Power Act, that says you have to do that where you can't. And PG&E now has a study from Mead and Hunt, professional engineers, that says they can do it. Here's a plan for a fish ladder that would cost somewhere between 30 and $90 million and would not work very well. <laughs> but the point is that that sets up a scenario where to get a new federal power license, a federal hydropower license, you either have to put in that fish passage and do what you can to make it work as well as possible, or... You can do the math and you can take the dam out, you know, but by getting out from under that requirement to provide fish passage, pg and saying we can set up a scenario where somebody else could make money by monetizing the water rights that pg and holds that they use to run this project. And monetize means turn those water rights, which pg e now uses them to generate hydropower and then basically abandons those flows. But if you turn them into two or $10,000 an acre foot water supplies, there's a way to maybe make some money if you could get the project to divert a lot of water, which kind of requires keeping Scott Dam in place. All right. So let's bring it back to, to today's Board of Supervisors meeting. Right. Thank you. With this story in place of the Eel Russian River Commission maybe trying to take over the, the dam ownership, why was today's meeting important? What, what did the board do today that was important? Well, what the board did today was partly move toward an acceptance of the reality that the dams should come out and are probably going to come out. But what they didn't do and should have done is say, we don't want any part of a solution that doesn't provide passage for salmon and steelhead to that spawning habitat above Scott Dam. That is a critically important piece of any solution from the perspective of the Eel River. And that's both because the fish need their habitat back and because that's the lever that's essential to getting Scott Dam removed. All right. You're listening to the Eco News Report, and I'm talking with Scott Grecian of Friends of the Eel River. So let's move on to some other news items. We have some exciting local news that has broken in Humboldt and Trinity counties that, you know, again, if, if our topic of today's show is maybe bad government. Maybe government transparency government and accountability. Transparency? Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So shoot, what, what happened on Monday, was it, or over the weekend in Trinity County? Yeah, we have very little information other than a press release from the Trinity County Sheriff's Office. But in very brief, it says that the Trinity County Sheriff's Office conducted a raid 
on the Trinity County Planning Office to investigate what it suggests are ongoing crimes conducted in furtherance of cannabis permitting. And the very little information I've been able to gather so far strongly suggests that the target of the sheriff's investigation is one or more Trinity County supervisor. I've, I've heard the same rumors, and obviously we're only going on rumors at this point. Well, we've got a little bit of information, but yeah. yeah and, yeah. Yeah, and local comments and whatnot. Well, and it's some locals who know locals and you yeah. know, are, are able to talk to folks who work you know, in the planning department. I think we can safely exclude the possibility that the investigation was targeting planning staff, I which is so. one possibility. Mm-hmm. So what we're probably looking at is people who are their bosses. Well, goodness. Yeah. And this is something that we're certainly going to be watching as more details come out. We had something else happen last week, I think it was, in Humboldt County, which is... You were on vacation. So I was on vacation, yeah, so I've been, yeah. I've been hearing about it since I've been back. All right, tell me about that. Well, and again, we don't have a great deal of information, and all I know about this one is what I've read you know, from published reports. But in essence, it's that a Humboldt County building inspector has been charged with basically corruption for what appears to be a pattern of extorting payments above and beyond, you know, the fees and stuff that people are supposed to be paying, direct cash payments to himself, to his own pocket, apparently from both people who are seeking to get licensed as legal cannabis cultivators and possibly from people who were not seeking to get licensed. So, you know, it may be the case that this guy was operating entirely on his own. We don't know. You know, we'll have to see where the legal process goes with that one. But it does tend to reinforce a lot of the stories that I'm sure I'm not the only one who's been hearing about sort of abuses of power in the course of permitting. Didn't the Grateful Dead write a song called Shakedown Street or something? I think they might have, but I am the wrong person. You to are ask not about a Grateful Dead. Band. Oh man, I had you pegged wrong. Okay, well, to last, and we'll we'll end the show on this. We talked about this earlier. We record on Tuesday. This airs on Thursday, and so we're we're talking about the future here, but it will have been the past on Wednesday tomorrow. Or yesterday Tomorrow for, for the our listeners. Time. Yesterday for you, yeah. Just to make it as confusing as possible, you have a big announcement. What 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 did you do? What what are you doing? Friends of the Eel River is filing a lawsuit under the California Environmental Quality Act against the County of Humboldt, and we're basically saying that the environmental impact report that was written to support the commercial cannabis cultivation ordinance that the board approved May eighth of this year was insufficient that the county has not taken the careful look at the impacts on the ground of not just the existing weed industry, but all the other stuff we've already done to these places. And and basically, they have no way to effectively evaluate the impact of the 3,500 additional cannabis cultivation licenses that the county wants to issue under this new ordinance. So we're going to go to court and try to convince the judge that, you know, the county needs to do more before it goes ahead and issues more licenses. Okay. Well, Scott, what what are these impacts? What are these cumulative impacts that we should all be concerned with with this most recent cannabis land use ordinance? 
there are a broad range of impacts that we all are aware of now, I think, from, from talking about the impacts of this industry. And they run from the noise associated with generators, the lights associated with, you know, lighted greenhouses that aren't covered at night. But the impacts that Friends of the Eel is most critically concerned with are the impacts on our watersheds and on our fisheries. And those the, the two most important kinds of impact are water withdrawals and sediment inputs. And I talk about those as an acute impact, like a heart attack, draining a stream of its water, you know, can kill fish immediately, thoroughly as anything, you know. But sediment impacts are like cancer, a chronic impact. And and probably when we look at the cumulative effects picture of impacts on our critical salmon and steelhead watersheds, especially in the South Fork of the Eel, really what we're looking at is about 90% sediment impacts, 9% water withdrawals, and 1% everything else in terms of fisheries impacts. So that's really what we're most concerned with. And ultimately, to fix problems, especially around sediment impacts, we know what we need to do. We've done this work in regulating and correcting some of the worst abuses of the timber industry. You got to relocate roads. You have to fix your stream crossings. You have to build roads that are actually, you know, in the right place and configured appropriately. The, the point is that technically we know what to do, but across Southern Humboldt, we haven't done it yet. And frankly, the problem we see in the county's analysis to date is that they haven't looked at what these impacts are, and they haven't even looked at the right scale. So shifting to the question of water withdrawals, the county looks at, for example, flows on the South Fork Eel. And they say, well, you know, there's enough water in there all summer long that it can account for diversions. There's enough for diversions. The problem is the same time they're pointing at the South Fork Eel, we know that critical streams in Redwood Creek, a key tributary of the South Fork, were going dry. We know that we have lost coho salmon populations in China Creek, a key tributary of Redwood Creek, because of water withdrawals and impoundments. So an analysis that says we're fine because there's enough water in the South Fork completely obscures the impacts that are actually happening on the ground. And it doesn't help the county to actually cite and mitigate new projects or even give licenses to existing operations in a way that actually prevents critical harm to salmon and steelhead and basically the public trust resources of clean water and a functioning ecosystem. So Scott, people are interested in this. How how can they find out more? Where should they turn? Well, there's always Friends of the Eels webpage, which is eelriver.org. You can find us on Twitter and that horrible thing we call Facebook. We have a phone number. I can't remember what it is at the moment, but <laughs> I never call it. <laughs> but it's on the web. You know, don't call me. I don't answer the phone, as you know. So Yeah, right. Okay. And and stay tuned to Econews Reports. Yeah. Check out the Econews, your regional environmental newspaper, for more information because there there'll be more about this, I'm sure. As, I'm sure it'll be in print. It better be. Yeah. The litigation proceeds. Yeah. If it's not, I'm not doing my job. So 
Ocean Night tonight at the ATL, the Arcata Theater Lounge. We have Venu Lagoon. At tonight's Ocean Night event, we have Venu Lagoon, an inspirational film that follows a traditional artisanal fisherman and his family as they tell the story of the lagoons of Mauritia and show us the very state of the ocean. All right, this has been the Eco News Report. My name is Tom Wheeler, and I've been speaking with Scott Griesen from Friends of the Yell River for the past half hour. If you have any questions or comments about this program, please call our listener comment line at 826-6089. You can hear this broadcast again on the archive programs page of the station's website at khsu.org. You can also listen to this as a podcast. Search for the Eco News Report in your favorite podcast app. I use Podcast Addict. You can also listen to it that way for your on-the-go listening pleasure. The Eco News Report is produced at Humboldt State University in cooperation with the North Coast Environmental Center. Tune in again next week at this same time for the Eco News Report.